Hi, I'm George Gale, and this is The Next Move, where we're talking about how we can build the future we want from this moment. Today, we're going to talk about essential workers and the potential we see in this moment to make sweeping changes in policy to support and protect them. Our guest today is Ai-jen Poo, director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance. She's a great organizer, been organizing domestic workers for a long, long time. She founded the organization. What else about ai Oh, yeah, Ai-jen and I are married. I first met Ai-jen right after the financial crisis. I got invited to a meeting of organizers in Washington, D.C. And picture a big circle of organizers in a room sitting in chairs. And I'm scanning the room. We get around Ai-jen. I'm like, oh, this is like a serious person. Like, this is a serious organizer. You could feel the integrity and authenticity like dripping off of her and knew I wanted to, to partner with her and organize with her. And way before the frame of essential work became household language or part of the American lexicon, iGen was deep in the work of organizing essential workers. Um, essential workers being domestic workers who are critical to the lives of our families, to our communities, and to our economy, but have for so long been written out of the story, the story of our economy, the story of America, and written out of our policy. So there's really nobody better to talk to about how we take this conversation around essential work and turn it into something game-changing for the long term. Here's our conversation. Hi, Ijen. Hey, George. How you doing? I'm good. So seemingly overnight, the like frame of essential worker became a part of the global lexicon. I'm really hopeful that, that one of the things that comes out of this horrible stretch is that uh, we have a big re-examination around what is essential and what work is valued. I mean, you've been working on bringing a set of workers who have been undervalued, underseen, and under recognized in terms of policy and pay and benefits like what does it look like if we nail this moment in terms of a big conversation around valuing work and around what's essential i mean i've been organizing workers for more than 20 years and i've never in that entire time felt like there was as big an opening to make change as there is right now in this very moment the fact that all of these workers, from the home care worker to the grocery worker and the delivery worker who have worked in the low-wage economy without any kind of safety net, right, without paid leave or access to health care or anything really to secure their own well-being and security, they're now seen as essential. Like all of a sudden the public is recognizing that all of these people that we've taken for granted are actually essential to our safety and our well-being. It's a huge opportunity to actually take action and to change our policy and our practices to support these workers and more. I think the key here is being able to extend this moment of awareness and awakening to actually ask the question, well, if all these workers were invisible to us before, and now we're seeing that they're essential, could it be that maybe every worker who's working mm -hmm. has value and should be protected and should be included in a safety net? And who else might we not be seeing and valuing the way that we should? And what does it look like to really value them? 
we have now a federal policy debate where we're actively debating what protections essential workers need and deserve. And everything is being talked about from childcare and paid family leave to hazard pay, which is essentially like a higher wage for risking your life. But really what we're talking about in terms of hazard pay should be the minimum wage for everyone. Because what we're talking about is what is baseline required to survive and feed your family. So I think that there's an opening here to change our policy and change our framework for workers' rights and a safety net to actually make us safe. Like where we are right now is that we have a safety net that is actually unsafe and doesn't protect huge, huge parts of our workforce. And that is what we can change in this moment. We've talked before about like how having a new awareness or some new seeing of like injustice or inequity is one thing, but absent action, it it actually doesn't mean that much. What actions can people listening to this take to, you know, deliver for essential workers? I mean, an awareness is the first step. It's powerful because once you see something, you can't unsee it. But what really changes lives is policy that actually has real impact in somebody's ability to pay the bills and to take care of the people they love. And we actually have a shot at that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is this opening, we can not, not only clap, we can change policy. <laughs> I mean, right now you can call your senator because there is a bill, the HEROES Act, that just got passed in Congress and is now in, in the Senate. And it has a whole bunch of protections for essential workers that should have been a given and unfortunately have not been in place um, like protective equipment and paid leave. And and we have the opportunity to send a strong message to all of our senators right now that protecting essential workers is essential. It's essential to all of us. And as a voter, I need you to do something. I need you to pass the HEROES Act. There's legislation right now that they can act on and we can act on them to get them to pass it. And then... At the same time, we have city government, we have state government, and at every level of government, our elected leaders should be thinking about how are we protecting essential workers. And they can all actually enact essential workers' bills of rights that really define a clear set of protections for essential workers. And um, and it's up to us to really make sure that they understand, that they hear loud and clear that this is a priority for us. So most people don't know what's in an essential worker bill of rights. Like, can you lay out the top lines for folks? Yeah. So Senator Warren and Representative Khanna introduced a version of an essential workers bill of rights that is really strong. And it basically defines essential workers very broadly um, to be inclusive of everyone from the delivery worker and the grocery worker. So not just the 
healthcare traditional notion of who the essential worker is in the healthcare system, like the doctors and the nurses, but also the domestic workers and the grocery workers. And so just how we define essential worker as being really broad. And then the other piece of it is what rights they have. And some cornerstones of the Essential Worker Bill of Rights are, one, what we call hazard pay, which is essentially a higher wage for the amount of risk that people are incurring to work in the midst of a pandemic. Also, paid leave and health care and child care and dependent care for essential workers. I know so many home care workers and doctors and others who have children of their own who are home from school who don't have the ability to take care of their kids right now and need that child care support. And then a really critical piece here is protective equipment. There's millions of essential workers who are working without proper protective equipment and without proper health and safety protections. And this is so important. The piece that um, Senator Warren and Representative Khanna talked about in relationship to this that's so important too that a lot of people don't know is that there are workers like in an Amazon warehouse in New York where there's been an outbreak and people have gotten sick and people have even died and workers in that warehouse have demanded protective equipment and social distancing policies, and they've been retaliated against and fired because of demanding those safety measures. And so a really important part of the Essential Workers Bill of Rights is not just the right to PPE, but also to have whistleblower protections and other protections for asserting your rights as a worker. So all of these things are pretty basic. They're pretty straightforward mm-hmm. Um, essential protections for essential workers. Yeah. Call your senator. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Immediately and tweet. You know, like growing up, like the kind of working class heroes were people that worked in factories and like helped power great iconic American brands. Right. And then there was the construction worker that was helping erect iconic buildings in American life. Like those were among the working class heroes that we just saw a lot kind of in the media and in culture. And I think we haven't transitioned to who are the working class heroes of today. And I think we're in a moment where it's really possible, where people could start to see a different set of workers in that light. This feels like the first time in decades we have that possibility. How do we take advantage of this moment to like redefine who are the working class heroes in American life? I mean, I think those heroes have to be able to tell their stories and for those stories to really redefine our popular understanding and imagination about who's working and what is work. I do think we have two versions of stories about work, neither of which are grounded in our reality or what our reality has been for the last few decades. We're either completely nostalgic for an era of work where it was like factories and offices. And then we have a whole set of conversation about work that's about this weird dystopian future where robots take over the universe and the only jobs are coding jobs. And really like neither of those are grounded anymore and have been ever really. The truth of it is, is that humans are the center of work 
and always have been, and humans will always be needed to do work, but we just haven't paid attention to the kinds of work and the experience of humans doing work for a very long time. And those workers need a voice. We workers need a voice. We need to tell our stories and have them heard at scale. And that's what this pandemic has done. It has created a different context and a different platform for everyday working people who've been doing this work for some time now, whether it's the Instacart delivery person or the Amazon warehouse worker or the home care worker. It's created a a new moment for that story to penetrate into and redefine how we understand what work is and what it could be. And so I think that storytelling is critical and we should be supporting more first-person accounts from everyday workers who are doing this work every day. And we should be tapping into artists and storytellers to figure out how we scale the audiences for those stories and create films and television shows and all of that to really create a different kind of awareness and, um, and sustain this opening that we have in our culture. Mm. You're the first person I ever heard use the word liminal. Um, I now hear it more often, but like if we're in a liminal phase around work, how would you describe it? I mean, I think it's a space in between um, two futures where we have already a, a foreshadowing, like a premonition of what could be, where you have automation that is actually not about innovation, but about displacement of of human capital, just in the service of big corporations, and where you have a whole bunch of people who work incredibly hard, but there's no dignity in it, and there's no support for it, and no economic security. We've, we've actually seen that. And domestic workers have seen into that future for generations. Domestic workers have always worked in a context where there's no safety net, no job security, no health care, right? Where you're just working incredibly hard and your only hope is your dreams for your children. And so you sacrifice and sacrifice so you can dream for them. That's the premonition, right, from this liminal space we can see into that future because there's a set of people who've always experienced that future and it could be the future for all of us or we can see into another future where we have this feeling of care and connection and concern and compassion right the feeling that you have when you go out at seven o'clock and you clap for the healthcare workers and you feel the power of the recognition of the dignity and the contributions of other working people. That feeling could be the organizing principle of our economy, where you actually recognize the inherent value and dignity in everyone's contribution. And everyone's contribution means that they can take care of their families and actually dream for themselves and for their kids. And I think this is the biggest thing is like, we're going to be entering into a phase where we could either be 
a victim to a zero-sum scarcity new era of austerity where we're told nothing is possible ever Mm -hmm. or we can fight to hold open those windows of connection and care for essential workers and the insistence that we have the ability to design the future that we deserve which is actually objectively true Um, And the way we express that is by calling our members of Congress, by showing up to vote, by organizing other people to vote. I mean, it's, it's like these big lofty things actually come down to pretty simple actions. I think that's really important. And I think sometimes when stuff gets this big, it, it's hard to remember that those things actually are probably what's going to make the difference. So like, it's been hard for a lot of people to, you know, get through this period, um, even people who are doing fine economically, whose families are safe and healthy, um, there's something just kind of paralyzing about this level of change and uncertainty and anxiety. Like, what keeps you moving? I mean, there's like so many people in this country right now who are feeling really paralyzed and, and feeling like just a loss loss all over the place, loss of agency, loss of work, loss of connection, and uh, so many things. And as organizers, you and I know that in times like this, we actually know what to do. So we're feeling the loss too, but the advantage, the emotional and spiritual advantage that we have is that we actually know what to do. And we know how to be of service. I mean, not always, to be totally honest. Like, I mean, I don't know what to do right now on one level, but we have some tried and true strategies that we know can be of service in this moment. And to be able to be of service is such a gift in a time of crisis. And I see it as a privilege. And I think... Mm -hmm. To be able to be connected to a strategy where you feel like you can actually make a difference, like that sense of agency is something that is really, really important. And that's why I think this podcast is so important because what you're trying to do here is connect everyone to their sense of agency in this moment, which I think in and of itself is a resilient strategy. Mm. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. I think the point that the pandemic has brought into the light, what was always essential, is a reminder that we fail to see things that are essential in our lives and that things that are undervalued all the time. And that agitates me and inspires me to like look harder. And I like what Ijin said around how new vision absent action actually is really not that valuable in the world and i think that's a push for all of us who are feeling you know some new awareness around workers that we may be taken for granted i mean grocery store workers were essential before the pandemic now we really see them and have labeled them as essential what are we going to do about it but if one thing will hang with me is 
Hygen's point that there's never been a bigger opportunity, not in our lifetimes, to create change at a huge scale. To me, that's that's maybe the most hopeful point she made and something I think we all have to think about and wrestle with. So you can learn more about the work that the National Domestic Workers Alliance is doing and more at peoplesaction.org slash next move. You can find iGen on Twitter at A-I-J-E-N-P-O-O. This podcast was produced by People's Action and the Mashup Americans. It is executive produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lair. Our senior producer is Sarah Pellegrini. Our development producer is Melissa Lowe. Production manager, Shelby Sandlin. Bye now.